Edward, did you bring a snack for them? There's all kinds of cereal up there from you. Just feed them some Cocoa Puffs or something. Send them home. <laughs> just, they're in containers just right up on that island and stuff. Oh, well, they're on the stove now. All right, well, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Nahum. Again, it's one of those books that uh, we don't often spend much time with. It's a, it's a book that has a message to the, the city of Nineveh. And a lot of, a lot of men, as they're studying, they don't, they don't take the needed time uh, to just <laughs> look at God's character and what have you. And uh, so let me just open up in a word of prayer and we'll uh, step into our study. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time. Lord, where we can just quiet ourselves before. Lord, we're so thankful that we know how this works. Lord, we know that when we, we look inside, we know that you promised that we repent of sin that's there, and we know that we're restored to fellowship. And then, then we can see and sense your nearness. Lord, I just pray this morning as we open your word that we would receive just a, a clearer picture of who you are. Lord, I think of your character and your love and mercy and grace and how it's, it's balanced with your justice. It's balanced with your, your zero tolerance of sin, Lord. And just so thankful that we can take this time this morning. Lead us and guide us in your precious name. Amen. Really, as, as we start, we need to understand this morning that Nahum is, is that picture. I had a word that kept coming across my path this week in my readings was omnibenevolence. Right? I don't know how often we use that, but God's love for the world. Right? God's, God's love for all of mankind. We know that scene in Him sending His Son, but, but God loves everyone. Right? That free gift of salvation is offered to everyone. So, and we know First John tells us God is love. And we need to understand that in the picture of Nahum. God is love. God is mercy. We see that. God doesn't desire anyone to, to go to hell. right? He doesn't, which is why He sent His Son. It's important for us to get that into our minds because some doctrines, I have to be careful here, I might get off track here, but, but they see God chooses, picks and chooses who it is that, that steps into His love and mercy. And that's not the picture of, of the, the biblical picture of God, is it? No, it's not. So as we approach Nahum, we have God is love, God is mercy, and God is grace. Right? He wants to, to bestow on us that undeserved favor, right? That unmerited favor of salvation of that relationship with Him. And we know that comes through a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? When we, when we as, as, as sinners, we're born sinners, we understand that our sin separates us from God. We understand that God sent His Son to die on the cross. We understand that the only way for me as a sinner to have a relationship with a holy God is to ask for forgiveness, believe that Jesus died, He was buried and rose again on the third day, and ask Him to be your personal Savior. Lead your life. Help you in, a, in this spiritual life that you're given. Right? It, it, it's, it's such a wonderful thing to consider, but... And, and as we approach Nahum, 
we see God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. But God is also just. And God is also holy. And God will also judge. Right? God has zero tolerance for sin. Right? So the book of Nahum is these two pictures, complete opposite, light and darkness, but they're intertwined here. Right? And it's all in the character of God. I think part of one of the reasons why preachers don't like getting to Nahum is because it is judgment. Right? And people don't want to hear about judgment. They don't want to hear about, about how God views sin because He hates it. <laughs> right? And that's not a pleasant place to be. So we, we have that perfect picture of Nahum of that. And once again, we step into one of the twelve minor prophets that we've been looking at. Um, most of the minor prophets are being preached towards a nation, towards, towards a city. And in Nahum, it's the city of Nineveh. Most of the time, the minor prophets are, are a message preached to a city or a nation that has rejected God. Right? They have full awareness of who He is, what, what His standards are, but, but they have rejected God. Most of the times, it's because the city is... is, is Rejected God. Most of the time, the end of the story is repentance. Most of the time, it's repentance, it's return, and we know the message is, is to be restored. But if you've read the book of Nahum, these three chapters this week, you don't see a return. You don't see a repentance. You don't see a restoration. And we know that in... in trying to think there, in, in 40, 40 years, I believe it is, that Nebuchadnezzar comes and, and levels the city. Leads everyone, leads everyone away captive if they're not killed. Right? And it has me pause this week to think that this city was too far gone. Right? And I, I had to stop there. Too far gone? Too far gone for what? Well, read with me. Verses 1 to 3 of Nahum chapter 1. First verse says, the burden or the oracle against Nineveh. God has something against this city. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Verse 2, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for His enemies. Verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger. I want you to picture, it's almost like a pot on the stove just roiling, right? Just, just boiling. It's just gathering that energy in there. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit that word means cleanse, right? He will not at all cleanse or acquit the wicked. I asked two questions this week, and I don't have time to preach all three chapters, so I'm going to focus on the first three verses. Can a nation reach the place of being too far gone to come back to God? Can a nation reach that place? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Can a nation reach the place being too far gone uh, to come back to God? Can a person harden their hearts 
live a life of disobedience and drift away to the place of not returning. This morning, doing my devotions, I even just asked myself the question, how many times did Adam and Eve sin and God removed them from the garden? Just once. It's a sobering thought. Now, I'm not going to answer that this morning. That rests in God's sovereignty, but it should scare us. It should scare us. It should open our eyes to the urgency that's placed before us of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors, with our family. Right? It's not an unlimited chance at salvation. Right? It's offered, but, but it's not unlimited. That's a sobering, sobering thought. In order to understand the book of Nahum, this is going to be another neat connection that God made for me um, this week. In order to understand the book of Nahum, you need to turn back in your Bibles to the last thing that God has to say about Nineveh, found a hundred years prior. Okay, So turn back to Jonah chapter 4 with me. The last thing that God says to this city, Nineveh. And as you're turning, which, which should just be back over Micah, right? A couple of pages. One book. Okay. And as you're turning, we remember a little bit of the survey we did last time we were in Jonah, right? We remember the city of Nineveh was a, a great city. I mean, the, the city had 60-foot walls and the thickness of the walls, um, my resources tell me that it was thick enough for two chariots, to, to run and race across the top. Now, I don't know what, what we would need for room, but probably at least 25 feet thick. Right? This is a great, great city. You may remember um, some of the, the survey, and then I've kind of hinted at the Assyrian practices, and it's not pretty. The great wicked city of Nineveh was led by leaders who used to press tens of thousands of captives into torture unimaginable right they'd come in and they take cities they would they take nations and then they would torture their captives if you want to jump Michaela maybe just to those pictures that I've got I think it's yeah so you see these pictures here right these are these are reliefs taken from from Nineveh right just as I'm getting ahead of myself here that you're, you're doing well Michaela the leaders, where they tortured them unimaginable, they were prone to dismember their captives. They skinned, they skinned their, their opposing enemies and they would put the skins on the walls of the city to prevent, as the, the women and children lived in those cities, to prevent uprising. That's how wicked this leader was. All right? Now I put that relief up there because that reminded me of what Hitler did right, this week. Right? A wicked leader. And just as, just as the wailing wall is in Jerusalem, I'm trying to paint that picture for you of Satan and what he can do to a nation. Um, just as the Jews have the wailing wall in Israel, right? there's a museum in Britain with those reliefs that Michaela showed. And I think there is a picture after that as well, if you could show that. Um, these are actual events in history. Right? They're the wicked leader, and this is what he did to people. You see the, the, the people on pikes, and they would leave them in the fields for the women and children to, to watch and look at. 
The great wicked city of Nineveh was, had leaders that did this. The great city of Nineveh had armies that helped this wicked man. Right? Armies that, that followed behind. They were under the bondage of the ruler of this world. And we know the, the Gospels tell us the ruler of this world, Jesus says, is Satan. Right? The armies. Hundreds of thousands of men believing it, that this was right. They carried out these atrocities against humanity, against Israel, and eventually Judah. God's people is the point I'm making. The battle between God and Satan has always been very real. Right? And I'm trying to make that connection this morning. The battle between God and Satan has always been very, very real. The connection. The rejection of God as a nation gives liberty to Satan. When a nation rejects God, it's given Satan freedom to, to lead that nation. Remember, God is still in control. 2 Thessalonians 2.7, restraining. But the nation has made its choice and there is no end to where they will let Satan lead them. Again, it should be a scary, sobering thought. Understand biblically what is happening with our governments. See it through a biblical world view. Homosexuality, abortion, euthanasia, right? They're not just taking um, newborn life, they're taking older life now. It's seen as acceptable now. Even our education system is being rerouted to remove God completely and move in whose direction? Right? It should scare us. But do not forget in the midst of seeing this happen that God still sends His light. God still sends His light. Just as Jonah went with the Word of God, right, to the city of Nineveh, as wicked as it was, just as Jonah went with the grace the unmerited favor, the salvation that God wanted to bestow on these people, so He works today. Again, the importance of us in the Gospel. The importance of us and being that voice. This morning, remember, in the midst of that, Christ has the final victory. Right? And that is our hope. This life is not our home. So to connect that with the last words that God had to say to the city of Nineveh. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11 says, and we know Jonah's having his pity party, and we don't have time to get into that. It's just a, we can get in these places sometimes. But God says to Jonah, and should I not pity Nineveh? Same city. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? God's last words about the city of Nineveh were about the children. 120,000 in that city that were young enough that they didn't know their right hand from their left hand. Right? God's concern was about the children. His last words were about the children. Turn back to Nahum. 
Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, the burden against Nineveh. I don't want you to read that Nineveh as a city this morning. I want you to see that God's first words to, to Nineveh were to the children's children. Can we make that connection? Right? hundred years later. Right? Last words were about, God, about the children. Nahum chapter 1, verse 1 is about the children of the children. The message of Nahum is described as a burden against these children's children. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, pity. God's Word went. God's grace. God's salvation. A hundred years later, we see in these first three verses a furious wrath, a judgment. If you quickly there just flip the page to verse 14, God says, I will dig your grave for you are vile. In five generations, what happened? In a hundred years, what happened from complete revival in the book of Jonah? 100% revival. People turned sackcloth and ashes. And in a hundred years, God is sending His furious wrath. God is jealous. He avenges. He's going to avenge us. Furious wrath. I will dig your grave. You are vile kind of plates it, doesn't it? Kind of puts it there in five generations, a hundred years. I think of even the great revivals of the early 1900s. You can't miss the application of this this morning. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for His enemies. I think of the, the demographics of the listeners hearing Nahum preach, right? Demographics just means the, the age group and where they are at and, and those that are hearing that message. And I think 100 years, you know, the, the, the 80, 90 year olds have just passed on to glory because we know they are probably saved in that revival, right? Or they were children. Now give me a little bit of leeway there, but, but their moms and dads were saved in that revival, so I'm going to say that they were probably... Um, they're with, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Right? So the 80 and 90 year olds, they've just went home to be with the Lord in heaven. Demographics, you've got the senior saints, I imagine in that city, they're watching, they're ignoring, they're, they're removing themselves from the wickedness that's seen in Nahum's three chapters. And, and if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Woe to you, the bloody city. It's full of lies and robbery. Chapter 3, verse 1. Its victims never, repar, never depart. It's a horrible place to live. And I picture the senior saints going, mm-mm. I don't want anything to do with this. No, I'm, I'm removing myself from, from this Assyrian culture. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to, to my mom and dad there and I'm looking forward to glory. I picture those in their 50s and 60s. They're few and far between seen faithfully trying to follow God in this Assyrian culture. Right? It, 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 it's so hard to take a stand for the faith that they have in God. Right? And I almost put in brackets here and they're dropping like flies. It's almost too hard to take that stand. They'd rather be silent. Those in their 30s and 40s, I just said, look around. That's how it works. Right? Those that are in their 20s, 
They're doing what is right in their own eyes in this, in this city of Nineveh. And our children are being born and they're just going with the flow and where society and Satan is leading them. Right? And you see that picture here. hundred years. It plates it for us. God is very intentional with this. And as Nahum preaches God's words, every generation must realize that Nineveh had heard the Word of God. Right? This wasn't some tribal group that had never been exposed to the Gospel. Nineveh had heard the Word of God. This generation, and I say this, I'm thinking about my generation, is without excuse. Right? Or without excuse. We'd heard the Word of God. Now, now, please let your imagination roll out there to all of us that are in our 30s. We are without excuse. We've heard the Word of God. Nineveh had watched what the Word of God can do in a life. Revival. Repentance. Turning. You can only imagine what that city was like going from complete darkness to, to light and that outreach and, and evangelism and, and just, just it would have been an awesome place to, to be part of. But here in Nahum, Nineveh's time before God had run out. The time that's given to them to repent was expiring. The clock was almost too far past. It's important for us to understand this morning that when we talk about eternal life, right? for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ and we've received the Holy Spirit and we've stepped into that new life in Him, it's eternal. It goes on forever and ever and ever. Right? We're going to be in glory with Him. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Right? This morning we understand eternal death. For those that, that, and this is the way I explain it to the kids, for those who close their ears to the Gospel and harden their hearts, they, they choose not to believe it. I'd rather do what the world does and I'd rather live and, and, and pretend that there's nothing after this life. We know that there's an eternal death. It's an eternal hell. that goes on forever and ever and ever. We understand those things. It, it, it's eternal. But this morning we need to understand that the chance to place our souls in the hands of God is not. Our, our, our chance to become a receiver of that early, eternal life is not. The time is not. Even anticipating His return, we may not have tomorrow. What will we be found doing? What will we be, how will we be found living? Right, we need to get that in our understanding. Nineveh had had the Word of God. Nineveh had, had, had watched what it can do in a life. That generation was without excuse. Nineveh's time before God had run out. His, their time to repent was expiring. Verse 2. God has a problem with this city. God has a problem with these people. God has a problem with this generation. God is jealous. And we watch God outline it here. This morning I just kind of added to this. This is how a nation, this is how a generation, 
This is how a culture surrenders to Satan. And I want you to see this outline that God gives. God is jealous. We all know what jealous means, but I don't think we think of it as God. God shows it and reveals it in Scripture. God is jealous. Nineveh, you do not know me. I have nothing to nothing. you. You do not know me. When we think of God being jealous for us personally, God wants all of you. God is jealous for all of you. God is jealous for all of your time. God is jealous for all of your prayers. All of your dependencies. God is jealous for all of your worship. God is jealous for all of your money. It's His anyhow. Your life is supposed to be His. Right? Fair enough? Right? God is jealous. Your life is supposed to be His. His kingdom, His church always comes first. Fair enough? God is jealous. God commands it. God is jealous. As He speaks to this nation of, of, of Nineveh, God is jealous for the nation. I want us to think bigger. God is jealous for the nation. He doesn't want pieces of it. God doesn't want parts of this city. God doesn't want areas of this. He doesn't want denominations. He doesn't want evangelical groups. He wants all of the nation committed to Him. He wants all of this city committed to Him. God is jealous. And I think about Canada. A country that was built on the faith of the forefathers. Again with this, we are in a scary place. Scary place. God is jealous. And I'm afraid God does not know us as a nation. God is jealous. We see Nahum. I can't even imagine being Nahum preaching this. The Lord avenges and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries. And I just put in my notes, okay, Nahum, we get the point. <laughs> right? He's going to avenge. He's had enough. The Lord avenges. That word avenge carries with it a, an essence of there's a grudge. God has a problem. God is not happy. And from that there, that, that resonated in my heart. God is not happy. There's a grudge against this city. They're going to be punished. Beside that, I put, you think you're okay before God, but you're not. God has a grudge. The Lord will avenge. The world, Satan tells us, and this is, this is the application part of it, the world and Satan tells us that we are okay the way we are. Right? Does the world tell us that there? We're okay the way they are. I'm not talking about sports commercials and that to say you've got to look this way and take this and what have you. But the world says you're okay the way you are. You're, there's an entitlement that you're allowed some of the, the Christian scenes say, Jesus will accept you the way you are. Right? Which is wrong. God, God doesn't. Because you are saved to be changed. 
When you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, so you become less like you and more like Him. We can't stay the way we are. It's the world that tells us that, that, that I'm going to be accepted the way I am, that I can, I can be whoever I want to be. No, you are saved to be changed. You are constantly being transformed from who you are by the Holy Spirit with the intention of you not being you and becoming more like Him. Nineveh was facing God's vengeance. Nineveh was facing God's furious wrath because they had created their own standard. They had created their own way of life that God needed to accept. God is jealous. The Lord avenges. He has a grudge. This is where the hard part is. And Jonathan Alprandi helped me after youth group to bring the, the seriousness to this. Nineveh was condemned. Right? Nineveh was lost. Even those two words don't seem enough. There, I think the King James, Nineveh was damned. That, that puts it in perspective. Nineveh was condemned. We live in a country that is condemned and lost spiritually. Some of us are living our lives with those that are condemned. The Lord has a grudge. The Lord avenges. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries and He reserves wrath for His enemies. Verse 3, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. The Lord is slow to anger. And again with that picture of that pot. And it's just gathering, just waiting, reaching that boiling part, that boiling point. I don't do not forget that picture we started with of God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. He He offers salvation to all. He He loves all, but it's perfectly intertwined with His justice, His furious wrath on sin, His zero tolerance for sin. The Lord is slow to anger. I wrote down with this happy. God is not happy with their lives. He's not. He can't even pretend it. And I'm thinking politics in the city of Nineveh. I'm thinking their preferences, their life philosophy. There is a divine rage. And we looked at that last week. There's a divine rage that's coming. God is not happy with their lives. Personally, personal application, not personally, the world tells you to be happy. Right? The world tells you to be happy. The world tells you to do what makes you happy. The world tells you to follow your heart, that deceitful, wicked thing of the flesh. And where does that lead you? Where does following that thing that, that desires the things that are going to make me happy, where does that lead you? Lead you away from God. Leads you away from Christ's church. It leads you to that place of joining Nineveh. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. There's a contentment. Yes, we understand that. God wants you to be holy. 
God is, the Lord is slow in anger and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. There's a great in power. There's importance here. There is no greater power than the same power that defeated sin and death at Calvary. Right? No greater power. That same power is going to trample in the winepress the nations and the peoples and those people that rejected Him. There is no greater power and will not acquit the wicked. He will not cleanse the wicked. And I wrote down here, what? Wait, hold on a second. God's not going to forgive them? God's not going to cleanse them? I wrote in here, no, He won't. Because they don't want to be. They are happy. And will not at all acquit the wicked. Folks, this morning... We know the world can't keep going the way it's going. I think we can all nod our heads to that. We know the world can't keep going the way it's going. Then how do we sometimes deceive ourselves thinking that we can? Nahum gives Judah, God's people, a wake-up call um, in verse 7 of chapter 1. Many of us, it's our favorite verses. We've looked at it in VBS and we've studied through it a number of times. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knows those who trust in Him. I read this differently this week. Knowing the context. Knowing, knowing that, that this is the end of the line for people that have said, I don't want anything to do with you, God. Or I want to live my way. I want to do what makes me happy. And I read this verse differently. I want you to take just a second and read the last eight words of this verse. Last eight words of, of verse 7. Can I ask you a question? When you read those words, do I focus on me trusting Him more than the fact that God knows what my life looks like? Do I focus more on trusting Him than the fact that God knows what I place first? Do I focus more on trusting Him than the fact, more than the fact that God knows where my heart is? I just close this off. God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, Christ's church, God commands us to, to give everything to Him. His commands are to be our everything. And if they're not, then we're living like Nineveh. Verse 15 says, O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows. I'm not changing Scripture. I just put this in. Jeremy, keep your appointed feasts. Jeremy, keep your vows. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this isn't easy. Lord, we live in a, a culture that is racing away from You. Lord, we belong to a beautiful nation that we know is racing away from You. Lord, I pray that You would strengthen our faith 
Lord, You would convict us of, of just what needs to be removed from our lives. Lord, You would reset our compass. Because You being jealous of me is something that I should just fall in love with. Lord, You being jealous of me should be something that I run to. You want all of me, Lord. I should be wanting to give it to You. Help us with that. Help us to, to just look around and, and see, see the outcome. Lord, and it's not necessarily the decisions, it's the eternal outcome of those that are around us. Pray even there in the services tomorrow, Lord, as we remember what You've done for our country. Lord, how You, you defeated Satan in that way at World War II, Lord, and we see You continue to, to work World War I as well, Lord. Um, just pray that we look around after that minute of silence. Lord, and we realize just where we're at. Pray that the gospel is placed first. Give us opportunities. Strengthen us. Help us to reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ to help us in this walk. Help us to understand we have a church family here for our needs. Just pray these things in your precious name. Amen.